You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and uh, while you're doing that, uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. Um, You should be me. I get to stand under these lights where it's warm today. And uh, Sue only wanted one thing for Valentine's this year. It was, um, could we get a little bit of winter? And... uh, that was my job. Apparently, I brought it all in two days, and uh, but it's the way it is. And so, happy Valentine's. You can be thankful you're not north of here where it's like twice as cold as this, and uh, it gets to a point where it's um, minus 25 going up to who cares because it's still going to be too cold, right? In uh, Jacques Mal and Monte Levu today, it will be plus 25. And so, uh, don't pray that they'll have a good time with the weather, but uh, pray for the team that's in Haiti. Well, the message today is called Beyond, is entitled Beyond Today. In Spain, in the 15th century, um, they were kind of the center of the world at that point. And uh, on their coins, they printed the words, nothing further, nothing further. Uh, shortly after that, there was the discovery of the new world, and they realized that, that they were not the end of the world, and so they changed their coin inscription to more beyond, more beyond. And that really kind of neat, because it talks about really our theme of our series, and uh, realizing that in Christ we are saved, and we're going to be something else, and we're going to be with the Lord, and we'll have glorified bodies and all of that, but, but we live in this uh, middle time. We live in this time of growing and learning and uh, seeing who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not finished yet. There's more beyond, but we have the responsibility to live in the today. So you've got your Bibles open. We want to honor God as we read his word. So let's stand together. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the word that we hold in our hands. We thank you for the amazing letter that uh, Paul wrote from prison to the church in Philippi and the challenge to them and the amazing truth that he poured out of what you were teaching him and the blessings that he had received and was even trusting you for as he looked forward. 
Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, you will guide us and direct us, direct our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us to set aside the things that are, um, are just filling our minds with distraction right now. And Father, that we would have a focus on who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to carefully listen and minds, God, would you give us understanding? And then Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ in this room, would you give us a passion to live out what we have learned because of who you are and what you've done for us. And we ask that you would do this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. And we want to dive into three things today when we think about beyond today. Uh, Paul was living for beyond today, but he had to live it in the context he was in. And first thing I want to talk about is passion, a little bit of passion. And uh, what do you find yourself passionate about? What do you get excited about? And uh, there are all kinds of different things that people find passion for in their lives. If you're a, a basketball person, the all-star uh, thing is in Toronto this weekend, and the NBA is all over the place. And if you're passionate about that, you're, you're just excited that finally it came to Toronto, and finally you got to watch the dunk contest, and maybe you'll watch the, the all-star game today, and, and you're passionate about that. And people find passion about many different things, and we want to see what Paul found himself passionate about. But he starts out in this verse. And he says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I press on to make it my own. He says, I'm going for it. I am going, I press on to make it my own. Well, in the verses before you remember, we saw that he was talking about the resurrection and uh, there were other things in the context of that that we saw last week. And, and so what was he pressing on for? Well, we're going to come back to that. But Paul the one thing he wanted, the one thing he was looking forward to was the resurrection when he would be with the Lord. He was going for, he was going for eternal life. Not that he had to earn it or deserve it, but because of who Jesus is, that's what he looked forward to. He was looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. He was looking forward to being like Jesus and he was passionate about it. I press on to make it my own. In verse 12, he uses the word press on. In verse 13, he says, I strain forward. In verse 14, again, he says, press on, press on. He was passionate about his Savior. Are you? Are you passionate about your Savior? In verse 13, it says, this one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. What are some of the things that maybe we uh, get wrapped up about that we need to forget about? Forgetting that which lies behind. There are lots of things in our past that we need to rejoice in and be thankful for. We need to rejoice and be thankful for many of us for family and the blessing that they have been to us. We, uh, many of us have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home and we're nurtured and, and things of the Lord and we need to be thankful for that. We need to, as followers of Christ, look back and remember what Christ has done for us. And there's lots of things that you look back and you remember. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, forgetting that which is behind. Here's some things you might want to forget about. Things that puff you up. Things that puff you up. What I have accomplished. What I am prideful about. If you find yourself always talking about the things you have done and the things you have accomplished and you're not ascribing glory to God for those things, uh, that might be a really good idea. Stop doing that. 
the things that puff you up. Here's another one, the things that tear you down. And maybe it's difficult circumstances. Maybe it's hardship that you have gone through. And maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's an injustice that happened to you. And, and you just keep going back to it all the time. You're always going back to it. And, and you live in a woe is me kind of world. Forgetting that which is behind. Letting it go. By God's grace, he allows that to happen in our lives. But it's a choice that we make. We have to make some decisions about what we're going to focus on. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Here's, here's one more thing that you might want to forget about, and it's the uh, good old days. Forgetting about the good old days. You know, when things were so much better. And it's not just old people who do that. Um, I find myself remembering the good old days more and more as I get older and older. And uh, here's the reality. The good old days weren't. Um, there were some neat things for sure. Uh, but if you're living in the good old days... It's probably because nothing's happening in your life today. Your focus is so back on the, I remember when, I remember when, I remember when, and, and nothing's happening today. The people of Israel, the people of Israel were making bricks in Egypt, and they were delivered from that. And they get into, across the Dead Sea, Red Sea, and they find themselves wandering because of disobedience. And what did they do? They murmured and they complained and they said, we remember. Remember what? Remember when they told you to make twice as many bricks and you didn't get straw anymore? Is that what you remember? Right? And, and so we need to be careful that when we are remembering things that we aren't focused either on in gloom and doom and misery or how things used to be. Because my experience is most people are like that. It's because they don't have anything new that's happened in their life. And he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. The words right before that in the text are this one thing. This one thing. Look at it again. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Resurrection, being with God in heaven, worshiping with him. He's still looking forward to all of that. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Here it is. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, commentators have tried to define exactly what the one thing is. And it, it's not just one simple thing. It's, it's really the totality of what God is doing and how he is working. I, I press on. What for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For well done, good and faithful servant. I look forward to bowing the knee before him as we saw in Philippians chapter 2. I look forward to heaven. I look forward to glory. I look forward to worship. That's what my focus is on. I'm forgetting all of the things about this earth. They're not the important thing. The important things are the God things. And I want to get my eyes set on those things. And he was passionate about that. In summary, maybe it's to know him and to make him known to be with him. That's it. And that's what we're to go for. And we're to go for it with great passion. Well, why? 
Why do I press on? Why is this passion so important to him? Look back at the first verse. Not that I already, sorry, verse 12, the first verse of this text. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Here it is. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The source of the work is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, There's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. The Lord Jesus Christ, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he began the work. He was the one who turned the switch on. And um, he was the one that began to draw us to himself. The work of our salvation does not begin with us. The work of our salvation begins with God Almighty. It begins, begins in the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. The source of all of this is Christ Jesus. So the work, he has made me his own. The work is that he has redeemed us. He bought us back. We were separated from God and there was no hope for you and there was no hope for me. And he paid the price. He paid the ransom for me. And in the verse, he says he has made me his own. Now think about how personal the work of God was in your life and saving you. He made you, you. Each one of you has put your faith in Jesus Christ. The, the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood but for you. That's a personal work. When Paul took hold of it, he became passionate about his Savior who loved him enough to reach down and redeem him out of his darkness and his sinfulness. And he made me his own. I thought about the result of that. It's the picture of adoption. He adopted us. He made us his children. We were outcasts. We were orphans. That's awesome. And so when Paul says the words, I press on to make it my own, you have to let the rest of the verse just wash over you because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What an awesome thing God has done. What an awesome hope we have. What a great savior is ours in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul was passionate about his ministry, his service, his God, his desire for glory, because God had done such an amazing work for him. And if you've trusted Christ here this morning, the Lord has done that for you. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, the offer is for you. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ who came, who died, who rose again, who sits on the right hand of God, um, interceding on your behalf. The offer is yours for salvation to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to be saved. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. The pressing on, the desire to serve, the passion for God all comes out of what he did for you, not so you can get to him. Believe on the Lord and you will be saved. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's kind of a parallel verse to that in 1 John 3, 1 to 3. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, the resurrection. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That he has made me his own. Some of the older versions, I use the term, um, he laid hold of me. Um, that's a great, that's a great statement as well. Hey, you are walking away from God. You are in your sinfulness. You are in I don't care mode. And God laid hold of you. And God brought you to himself. And you believed and you were saved. Well, what did he lay hold of you for? What did he lay hold of you for? Um, and what did he lay hold of Paul for? As he thought about this. Remember, he's sitting in a prison and he's saying, he laid hold of me and he made me his own. Well, what for? What for? Well, there's a number of things that God did in making Paul his own. It was to make him a new man. To make him a new man. In, John, in Romans 6, 4, Paul wrote these words, We were buried together with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The God's desire in the work of Jesus Christ was to make Paul a new man. He took hold of him. Jesus completely carried out that work in himself. And he wanted Paul to understand it. Just to make him a new man. Here's another thing. To confirm into him the image of Jesus Christ. And then father to, to, the father was desiring to conform him to the image of his Savior. So not only was the image of Christ being stamped on him, but he was going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Lord Jesus took hold of Paul so that he would have a new nature, Jesus within him. Here's another one, to make him a witness. Paul took, uh, Jesus took hold of him to make him a witness. In Acts chapter 9, around the time of Paul's conversion, there was a lot of doubt and fear about what was going on. Because remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. And so it says this in Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, not Paul, but Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. God did a work in him to make him a witness so that Paul would testify of his experience of coming to know Christ and what God had done in changing him. Not only that, not just to make him, an to, to make him a witness, but to make him an instrument in the conversion of other people. And God's called us to those same things. To be a witness and to be an instrument in the conversion of other people. And you say, but it's hard. It is hard. And we never know exactly how God works and what he does is he takes our voice and our testimony and our faithfulness and people's lives are changed as a result of it. Um, I'll never forget the time a guy came up to me and uh, it was like years after a retreat I had spoken at. And he told me about his conversion through the message that I preached on that day. Never knew about it, no idea about it, and God is using him, he's in ministry today. And uh, Think about Paul, he's in prison. And if, if you're ever in prison, you're kind of thinking like, well, I can maybe minister to the people who are around me, and he did for sure. 
But then he wrote this book and he sent it from Rome to Philippi so the Philippians could be thanked for their generosity and to teach them some things. And, and maybe he thought maybe that's how far it will go. And yet many of you in this room, a number of you have come to me and said, hey, my favorite verse of my whole life comes out of this book or this book God used to bring me to salvation. And see, God set him aside to be a witness and God set him aside to be a voice that other people would be saved. And God does that in us as well. And we are called to be faithful in those things. Here's the next thing. God called him into suffering, into suffering. In Acts 9, the next verse, in verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He was called to suffer. And we're called to suffer as well. Suffering is pretty minor in our land today. Um, we don't know what it'll look like in 10 years or 20 years. As I said last week, it won't look like this, but I don't know what it will look like. But I know there are followers of Jesus Christ all over the world who their claim to the Savior has caused them suffering, many thousands even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's part of being in Christ. A part of the calling on our lives is to be and do whatever he calls us to. And it's going to cause us some suffering. It's going to cause us, at least at a minimum, in our world, in our nation today, it's going to cause us discomfort and maybe some ridicule and maybe some pain. But that's what he's called us to. Why? Because I press on for the prize. I'm going for what's coming. I'm not all that concerned about what's going on here in our world today. He was called to suffer. But then the great news to attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what he was called to. And we saw that in verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He had a heavenly hope. And Paul lived in that and he was passionate for his Savior. He was passionate to serve his God. And he wouldn't let anything, prison, discomfort, discouragement, he wouldn't let anything stop him. I press on, he said. Well, for what? That's the second thing, and that's the purpose. And we find his purpose in 15 to 19. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you, th if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly and their gl they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's purpose was about maturity. It was about growing up in Christ. We see that in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. He had a passion to be maturing in Christ. He had a passion to grow, to bear fruit, to be in the word, to be in prayer, to be having fellowship with other people. Those were just the things that, that were just natural for him. It's what he wanted. He wanted to be growing up in Christ. And, and so the question for you is, are you maturing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not have you attained it. It's, it's a thing that we're going to be doing through, right through till we get to heaven and then forever uh, learning about God and worshiping him and all of it. But sometimes we need to grow up. You ever have somebody say that to you when you were a kid? Grow up. Why are you so bent about this stuff? 
Why do you allow the things that aren't that important to rule in your life? Grow up. Let the open hand things go and hold on tightly to the things that don't change. And maturity was what Paul was desiring. But even if you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I wrote down the word discipleship for this. Um, some people are growing in their maturity, but we're not all at the same place. And we wrestle with different things. And the Lord needs to reveal things to us. And if you're not sure about something, you need to ask God to reveal it to you and show you from his word and how to have wisdom about things in your life. It's, it's called sanctification. It's called digging in and allowing God's spirit to work in you. That those of you who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. We need to be people of God who are moving forward in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love the fact that he put the word us in there because he wasn't setting himself as some a pinnacle that he's on the pedestal. He's saying that we all need to. We all need to be working on this. We're in it together. He said, let us hold true. The word hold true means to move forward in a line. To move forward in a line. So he's writing to this church and he says, let's make sure we hold true to what we have attained Let's move forward together. I'm so thankful for our church and the things that God has called us to. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. That's what we're about as a church. How do we do that? We do that through four pillars. The preaching pillar. The worship pillar. The evangelism pillar. And the prayer pillar. And those things are our focus. Those things are what we're about. And how do we disciple each other? Well, we do it through worshiping and walking and working together. Is that everything there is in the Bible? No, it's not everything there is in the Bible, but it's the core. It's the foundation of who we are. And in it, we seek to strive together. Striving together to what we have attained. The resurrection from the dead, eternal life, assurance and salvation and hope. And God has called us as a church to strive forward in unity in these kind of things for, for his fame and for his glory. People who are mature or being discipled, moving forward. Here's the next thing, imitating and learning from godly examples. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God, or mimics is the actual word, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So ultimately, it's what would Jesus do? Ultimately, it's how would God react to this? Ultimately, what would God's word say? But Paul understood that people were watching him and seeing him. And, and so that's why he said in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Why? Because he was the, the be all and end all? No, but because he was an example for them. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, I urge you then be imitators of me. You might go, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Well, no, because in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are his, not Paul's, but God's, Jesus Christ's 
ambassadors. We are his relations. We are his, his, um, we are his mouthpiece. We are his example. We are his representative here on this earth. We are his ambassadors and people are watching us and they are following us. And, and so he could say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So mom and dad, can you say that to your kids? Can you? Can you say, you want, you want to see an example of how Jesus would do this? Be an imitator of me. I'm going to seek in my life as best I can to lead you and direct you. I'm not going to do it perfectly. There will be lots of times I need to ask for forgiveness. And there will be lots of times you're going to need to extend it to me. But as best I can, I'm going to seek to model Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what Christ has done for me. In your workplace. Are you an example that people follow after? Paul says... Be imitators of me. We need to learn from godly examples. And he was telling them, I'm setting you an example. You need to follow that example. But I like that the verse goes on and he says, uh, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have here in us. Not just us, but others who have this example. Paul saw that in the Thessalonians and in Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. So that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became, excuse me, you became followers of us and you became an example that people were following after. Small group leader. Do the people in your small group have an example to follow after? Okay, let's bring it home. Elders were called to lead the church in doctrine and discipline and direction and godliness and being an example. that people would follow the example. Not the person, not the, but the example because the example is of Jesus Christ. Imitate and learn from godly examples. So here's the last one. Watch out, watch out for worldly examples. Look at verses 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. For many, there are lots of people out there. For many. He's not talking about the people in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, especially verse 2. He's not talking about the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators of the flesh. He's not talking about them. He's not talking about the people we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, those who preach from envy and selfish ambition. That's not who he's speaking about here. He's now talking about another group of people. For sure, they're in the world. The world is filled with these people. But there's some of them in the church as well. They're not saved. How do I know? What well, says they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is their destruction. And they are living in the world. Every day we see them. But they might even be in the church. 
They're despicable according to God's standard. And it caused him great pain. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The words even with tears struck me this week as I was preparing this message. Do the people that he's describing here, enemies of the cross, the ones who are leading to their own destruction, does their sinfulness and their separation from God bring you to tears? I realize some people cry more easily than other people. I, that's not the point. The, the point is, what kind of passion do we have for these people? We're going to learn about them and what we need to do with them and how we need to be protected from them. But I was overwhelmed by his that bring us to tears because here's what so often happens, I think. So often what happens, especially in the church, is you've got this problem person, how are we going to deal with them? And it's like, let's get that done, get it off of our to-do list and get on to the next thing. But do we find ourselves broken for these people and crying for these people and crying out to God for these people? He said, even to tears. When was the last time you wept for someone who's not in Christ? And you see the trajectory of their life and they're going to hell. And you don't really care. When was the last time you wept for them? Paul says, even to tears. I think there's a number of reasons for that. One would be because of the, the reality of their situation, tears, that they would come to Christ and be delivered from all of that. I think tears were there also because he wanted to make sure the church was protected and he wanted to take care of the church. And God help me, God help us to never see people as somebody we got to get off of our to-do list because we have another appointment coming, another thing to do. Um, these people taught a false creed. They perverted the teaching and they were perishing. Do we care about people like that? Here's how it describes them and because we want to be protected from them as well. It says, their God is their belly. They worship self. That's what it means. It's not talking about they eat too much. It, it might be, but that's not what it's talking about. Primarily, it's not talking about the fact that they eat too much. It, it means they're living for today. That's all they care about. They only care about today. They care about what they can get. They care about what they can have. Their focus is not on eternity. It's not on who Jesus Christ is. It's not on looking and pressing forward to the reality of the resurrection that's ours in Jesus Christ. They're living only for today. It says they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. That means that sin rises to the level that you celebrate it. Sin rises to the level that you celebrate it. That's what the world does all of the time. In John 3.19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil. The LGBT movement, they glory in their shame. The thing that God calls sin and despicable, not unforgiving, not unwilling to bring these people to righteousness, but they glory in their sin. That's what our world looks like. People go out and they party and they get plastered and then they brag about it because they glory in their shame. Sexual freedom all over the world and 
people glory in this sinfulness. They glory in this shamefulness. They glory in their shame. Abortion is rampant. And people are proud of the fact that they've had an abortion. Why? Because they glory in their shame. Paul's saying, watch out for these kind of people who are living for today and who are glorying in their shame. It's all over our music. Kanye West, a new song, I Am a God. They glory in their shame. Now, some of you are sitting there going, how do you know that Kanye West song? I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. I've got people. And they help me with these things. Okay. Just want to clarify that. Because you're going to be, what's a pastor listening to? His song is, I am a God. He's glorying in his shame. Pornography and prostitution, the victimless crime, really. Glorying in our shame. What was sin is now celebrated and flaunted. The the text goes on, it says, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul says, imitate me. And imitate people who are like me. And don't imitate people whose whose belly is their goal, whose glory is their shame, whose end is their destruction. Think of your relationships and what's building you up or tearing you down. Who's influencing who is what I would ask you. Does it mean we don't have any contact with people who are in the world? Of course it doesn't mean that. We're to be salt and we're to be light, but who's influencing who? What's pushing you? What's drawing you to Christ or pushing you away from him? Paul says, mimic us, imitate us, imitate people who walk like us as we are like Jesus Christ. That was his purpose. And then he gives us a little bit of perspective in verses um, 20 and 21. You get all that. He says, but our citizenship, what we're going for is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, where we belong, what we belong to, where we feel at home, where we are safe, where our allegiance is. Ours is in heaven. It's not on this earth. Sue and I, this afternoon, Lord willing, are going away to a pastor's conference. (laughs) We're going to Phoenix. It's about plus way more than it is here, there, (laughs) for a couple of days. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this when I get to the airport. I'm going to have a passport. It's going to tell who I am. It tells where I'm from. It tells what nation I belong to. And I won't be able to get through and go to the States unless I have this, this passport which tells me who I belong to. Our team that went to Haiti. Put the picture up, would you? Just before they left the office. What? Some of those people are a little scary. Huh? <laughs> Just before they left to go to Haiti. 
What did we last thing we do? Make sure you've got your passport. Why? Because it tells you where you belong. It tells you where home is. And you need it to get out of the country. And you're going to need it to get back into the country. They had to have it. Um, so they're there today. They're worshiping in Montelevue right now. And um, you want to be praying for them. And uh, don't forget, um, as they're away. So that was a shameless endorsement of the team that's away. But they had to have their passport. They had to have it. Why? Because it talked about where they are citizens and where they belong and who they belong to. I remember when I was in Haiti a few weeks ago and in Romania, I love to go and I love to be a part of what's going on and I love to see it. But somewhere along the trip, you're like, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home because it's where I belong. It's where I'm comfortable on this earth. It's the country God has placed me in. It's given me a lifestyle. It's... But my, my citizenship isn't really here. Not really. In our world and in our world system, it's the way we work. But our citizenship, where we should feel the most comfortable, where we know we belong, is in heaven. And that's what Paul was telling them. Look beyond today. Live in today. Follow our example. Stay away from evil people. But look forward to what is coming because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in us. That's why we're going for all this. Verse 21 says that Jesus Christ, the Lord, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There's some great stuff coming. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Everything is subject to him. The omnipotent power to create, to sustain. The omnipotent power to save us, to deal with sin. Our citizenship is in heaven. And it was done and taken care of through the finished work of Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, so what? So what? When Spain led the world in the 15th centuries, their coin reflected their national arrogance, and on it was inscribed, nothing further. Nothing further. Meaning that Spain was the ultimate in all the world. After the discovery of the new world, they realized that they were not the end of the world, and they changed the inscription to more beyond. More beyond. Which inscription would better picture your life? Nothing further or more beyond? God has called us to look forward to where our citizenship is and to live in that hope because there's so much more beyond. And I press on. I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is your word and we thank you for it. We ask God that you would challenge us in our walk, that we would not be satisfied with where we are in this world, Lord. As we've heard this message, if there's sin that is uh, affecting us in our walk and destroying our relationship with you, I pray, God, you'd bring us to repentance about those things. Father, help us to understand that uh, we are to imitate Christ and there are people around us who we learn from and we imitate, but Father, there are people who are watching me. There are people who are watching each one of us in this room who claim the name of Jesus Christ and teach us, God, to be faithful followers, but godly examples as well so that we will press on because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done 
for us in our salvation, in our hope. And one day in a resurrection to a new body, in a new citizenship to be with him forever. Do your work for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.